Broadcasting from Lethbridge, Alberta, Canada. This is connecting your community, building community through unity. Through unity. Getting things done takes activism, and Blaine Higgin and Mallory Chris Jansen have come together to share firsthand community voices, bringing awareness to community issues, watching how other communities handle like problems, and sharing their successes. Connecting, connecting your community. Here are your hosts, Blaine Higgin and Mallory Chris Jansen. Hi everyone, here we are. Here we are. Here we are. Today we're kind of switching gears and we're going to be talking a little bit about post-traumatic stress disorder. June has been deemed as the month to raise some awareness with PTSD. And so today we're super lucky to host Kate Rigaud and she's going to share a little bit about who she is, her frontline experience as a retired RCMP officer. She is an amazing advocate for mental health. But before I go and spoil everything about who you are, <laughs> do you mind letting the followers know, Kate, a little bit about yourself and who you are? Sure, yeah. Um, I grew up in Alberta. Um, and then after my career in the RCMP, which I'll talk about a little bit later, um, we ended up coming back to Lethbridge. Um, we have family here. And uh, I now teach at the Lethbridge College in the Criminal Justice Program. It's amazing. How long have you been teaching in the Criminal Justice Program? Mm, this is my fourth year. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. It's going to be rewarding, right? It's extremely rewarding. It was a huge change, right? And an I incredible bet. learning curve to uh, adopt sort of that new uh, way of thinking in that new lifestyle, but yeah, it's been right. really rewarding and I love to hear stories from some of our students who get a hold of me and say, hey, you know, I just went to depot or hey, I just got hired on with this agency. That's great because you see, you know, they've continued on with their career and that yeah. they've, you know, they've yeah. found the work that they were set out to do. So yeah, that's excellent. phenomenal. Uh, mm -hmm. Can you share a little bit about your own police background and the education you've got to get to where you are today? Sure, yeah. Um, so I was with the RCMP um, and I worked in three different divisions. I started off in E Division, which is British Columbia, then worked briefly in Alberta and then Saskatchewan. And really, I, I was in every different unit that you can imagine as I worked through my career. I started off in patrols um, and then I went into a property crime unit, then a drug wow. unit, then a sex crimes unit investigating uh, sex crimes against children. Um, homicide unit, uh, then I went down to the Lower Mainland and was in a national security unit, an integrated national security unit, so we investigated anti-terrorism files. So that's on an and international level then? It, it was, yeah. Oh, wow. yeah. And then my last two postings were as a detachment commander in charge of small rural detachments in Alberta and BC. Um, I have a BA in psychology from U of C and a master's in public administration from University of Victoria and I just published actually some research uh, in the Journal of Policing and Society with a mentor that I have at University of Victoria and it was related to visible minority policing, organizational culture, stuff like that. So Kate, we know that you are now teaching in the criminal justice program, right? And I think it's also just such a benefit for you having all that experience now teaching mm -hmm. future police officers, sheriffs, etc. So I guess my question for you is even what is what was it like being a female police officer? <laughs> <laughs> Great question. It, it, it really is um, a good question and I think I can only speak from my own personal experience. I would never yep. um, be presumptuous enough to speak for any other female police officer. But my experience with the RCMP was 
incredible. I know that women have come forward um, and there have been, you know, lawsuits and things regarding harassment, bullying, um, sexual harassment, all of that. I can honestly say that in every unit that I worked with um, in the RCMP, I never experienced that. And I'm not minimizing in any way, shape or form Absolutely. females who may have gone through that, right? right? Um, but I can say that uh, the the colleagues that I worked with, whether they were junior, whether they were senior, whether they were male, whether they were female, whether they were LGBTQ, black, whatever, right? Yep. Um, I always had an exceptional working relationship um, in every unit that I went to. I never experienced any issues. Yep, that's fabulous. And so one of the things that we also wanted to, and we obviously got your permission, and, and you know, you and I have been able to collaborate on different initiatives. I've been able to come into your classroom and do some crisis intervention training with probably future students <laughs> who don't want to become police officers after having me do their mock role play. But in any event, it was really good experience. So for me, I immediately think um, my father is a retired first responder, and there was most definitely undiagnosed mental illness, uh, mm -hmm. mental health matters, and you know, back in the day, I do believe that I, I believe that we progressed as far as providing better mental health for frontline workers. Mm -hmm. That's just my opinion. Uh, we'll talk with you about that soon. But in any event, can you share a little bit about your own experience with post-traumatic stress disorder? Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Um, when I think back about it now, it probably originated when I was a child because it was a fairly traumatic incident that I went through um, as a child that obviously was not dealt with. Um, but then in terms of my career, um, I was in an officer-involved shooting um, three years into my career. Um, so an American fugitive had come through the border, just a small town in the East Kootenays, and I happened to be the person who found him. Um, and long story short, we got in a pursuit, uh, he flipped his truck and then um, came out shooting at me and then three other officers came and he was trying to kill all four of us. He was subsequently charged with four counts of attempt murder of a police officer. So we did end up um, shooting him. We did not kill him. Um, but, you know, back in the day, um, I was sort of in the ambulance with that guy. Uh, we picked him up put him in the ambulance. My detachment commander was now aware of what had happened. He said, you ride with him in the ambulance to the hospital. Um, as the EMTs are working on him, putting um, morphine and stuff in because he had two gunshot wounds. Um, he looked at me and he said, I was trying to decide whether I should kill you as you were chasing me, right? And I, could, I knew that he had weapons in the car. He had a handgun that he shot us with and there were other weapons that we located oh in the goodness. truck. Um, and yeah, I came back. We had him secured in the hospital. I came back, I did some notes. A psychologist from one of the um, district offices came out that night, did a quick debrief with us, and then my detachment commander said, okay, we'll see you tomorrow. And mm, so I had, I had no chance or no opportunity to sort of process or, or think about what had happened, right? I went home, I was so exhausted, I went to sleep, I got up and started work again the next day. Um, and sort of, I just never unpacked that for many, many, mm -hmm. many, many years. Um, and then, you know, working through sex crimes was a very difficult unit, watching children being victimized sexually, watching that child pornography. Um, because you have to actually watch any of the evidence that you, you guys have. have. Yeah. You so have yeah, that's it. that's traumatic in and itself. It's brought back up, of course. Yeah. If you're if if you're if there's a court case, you're now appearing there, and yes. so that it's now yeah. brought back to light again. Absolutely. When you've 
So it you takes that bit. time to, yeah. wow. So yeah, watching that, um, actually sitting across this close, right, to offenders who have done that to the children. Um, seeing yeah. sex trade workers with their, you know, throats slit open, um, things like that. Uh, it, it, at the time, you're so engrossed and you're so vested mm -hmm. in the investigations that you're doing that you just go, right? Mm -hmm. And it's only when I actually became a detachment commander where I had some time to step away from the operational stuff. I was still doing it, but more administrative roles and I was spending more time in the office. Um, that I realized that it was starting to impact me. And we can talk about that later if you want, yeah. about what I so did. So I guess for yeah. anyone that's watching that may be struggling with PTSD, whether mm -hmm. it's diagnosed or undiagnosed, what were some mm -hmm. of the, the triggers for you? What did you notice even physiologically and mentally that would happen yeah. and you knew that this, was, this wasn't sitting right with you? Mm -hmm. Okay, so I, I wasn't sleeping properly. Mm -hmm. I started to have some flashbacks, um, very vivid, um, recalling, like having those vivid pictures um, in my head. Um, I was very erratic in my emotions. It took a toll, I'm not gonna lie, right? It takes a toll on your relationships, on your marriage. Um, so up and down that way, um, very easily angered. Mm -hmm. um, I started to withdraw a little bit, not doing things that I normally would have done. Um, I didn't like making decisions. I found it hard sometimes to just, I got home at the end of the day and it was just like, I don't want to think about or make any decisions anymore, you do it, right? Mm -hmm. So putting right. that burden um, on your family, on your husband, um, it was very hard to focus. I might sit at my computer for a little while just looking at a report mm -hmm. and then realize, wow, I've just been sitting here for five minutes. <laughs> And I just, thought I was reading, but that just had inability just to focus, out. inability right. to focus. Right. Um, so those are just some of the things. So before we take a break and thank you for sharing all of this and thank you for being so open and even just your service as mm -hmm. not only an RCMP officer, mm -hmm. but now teaching future cops mm -hmm. um, a little bit about your experience. And it's been an honor to even watch you teach. But before we take the break is what would you share to anyone that's following and watching this podcast? what would you suggest a friend do or a family member do if they notice those signs in their partner? You know, we, we have to get past this belief that, oh, if I ask them about something, it's going to upset them even more. Um, I think it's really, really important that we check in Absolutely. and ask. Right. You need to be very pointed and say to people, um, you know, if I noticed it in you, it'd be like, Mallory, I've noticed these things. I'm asking you right now, mm -hmm. are you okay? Do you need help? Are you thinking of doing this? Are you thinking of doing that? We've heard so often, I think, as well, that, that uh, your colleagues that you're working with, there's times that they will downplay this and that mm -hmm. you're, you're not strong and you're not... Mm -hmm. Or you're not being a man. You're not man being a man. man. That, that, that yeah. if you talk about this, and mental mm -hmm. illness, is, illness has been something that's... Uh, uh, I mean, really been talked more about lately, and yeah. I think it's extremely important. So you're right to come out right away and to actually, you know, ask that person, and you know, if there's something that they yeah. need help with or or yeah. whatever. Do you think we're talking about it enough? Do you think we are reaching out to friends and family and talking about mental illness, especially on the front line, enough? Um, probably not. Mm -hmm. I know that I do it simply because of my experience yes. and knowing the members that I still know. Right, so. 
I know it drives them crazy sometimes, probably, right? I'm always asking, hey, how are you feeling? Are you okay? Talk to me about what you've been through lately, right? You know, have you mm -hmm. gone and talked to anybody about it? Um, but we can always do more, right? And that stigma that you're talking about, I think, is slowly being broken mm -hmm. down. I believe it is, too. So. Yeah. Yeah, and that's, that's great. Okay, well, let's take a break, and we'll come back to this conversation. Okay. This really nice. is Connecting Your Community with Blaine Higgin and Mallory Chris Jansen. We'll be right back after these messages. At Smith's Audio on 13th Street North, we promise to only sell high-performance electronics. We promise to support mostly Canadian companies like Paradigm, Anthem, NAD, Bryston, and PSB. We keep promises. Smith's Audio, 13th Street North. Electronics simplified. There's a new art shop in town? What? Watercolors, acrylics, pastels, brushes, oils, canvas, and paper. Oh! Where? It's new. The art room at Smith's Audio on 13th Street North. For high performance sound. And super art supplies. And we're back. And you know what? Another thing that we actually forgot to talk about too was even the initiative that you are currently doing for Lethbridge Police Service and, mm -hmm. you know, rounding up our community to support the Lethbridge Police, especially the ones who have gone above and beyond. So thank you for that. Um, so going back to even a little bit about post-traumatic stress disorder is do you feel that there are enough resources that are being offered to frontline workers, police, EMS, fire? Um, you know, even for myself, I was an outreach worker and saw some really heinous things that, you know, I, I think about often too. Do you think that we're doing a good job as far as offering mental health support? I think we're getting better. Is there work to do? Absolutely. Um, I think back to what the RCMP was doing and what they're doing now. And there are some, some positive changes, you know, like we have R2MR, which is the Road to Mental Readiness. It was a program developed by the Department of National Defense in Canada. Uh, we have LifePeak. We have employee assistance services. We have peer-to-peer -peer, um, groups. We have OHS offices. We have OSI, or Operational Stress Injury Clinics. Um, we have periodic health assessments, which... Um, I have some concerns about those, which I can go into if you want later, or I can leave that alone. So, um, it sounds like, you know what, <laughs> a part like two is like coming forward here too as well, because it's stuff, yeah, there's definitely an interest there that... Yeah. Um, so I definitely think we're making more of an effort. The RCMP is now involved in a kind of cool initiative. One of the students that I taught uh, just recently graduated from Depot and he emailed me about it. He said, hey, Kate, are you aware of this? And I just made a note to make sure I didn't get it wrong. It's through the University of Regina and it's through the Canadian Institute of Public Safety Research and Treatment. And what they've done is at Depot, um, cadets are now equipped with a smartphone, they're equipped with a watch, and they're equipped with a shirt that monitors their heart rate. And it's a five and a half year longitudinal oh. study. Good. And um, good. Wow. so, that measures the quantitative data, right? So their physiological responses to what is going on at depot and then out in the field once they get there. And then they ha also have to submit um, diaries, diary notes, and they have to have regular psych assessments. So that's where the qualitative component comes into it. So with the quantitative and qualitative over five and a half years, they're hoping to get some really interesting data to develop that's more strategies for mental health. Fantastic. Yeah, that's, and that's going on right that's now. That's good. And that's a positive, positive step in the right direction. And mm -hmm. I think about, you know, I'll use even my own family member who's retired was 
back in the day, you didn't talk about what happened. You didn't talk about what you saw. And so mm -hmm. I grew up with a lot of dysfunctional outbursts as a result of maybe some, some unhealed things that he had saw while he was on shift, right? And, mm -hmm. and I also want to, have always been wanting to raise awareness for children of first responders and frontline workers because mm -hmm. there's a lot of times that I would look into the crowd and I would never see my dad because he was working. Right? right, and the sacrifice that so many frontline workers do yeah. to ensure not only our community safety, but also, you know, but at back in the day, there was, there, I believe there was a lack of enough mental health and support for, you know, the older generation of frontline workers. So this, mm -hmm. seeing this and hearing this, it's a step in the right direction. Absolutely, you know, and you've spoke a lot to, to what is currently being done and some of the changes that are coming forward yep. here. What's some fantastic changes? And I think over time that's going to make a, a big difference uh, within the service. And so further to that, though, what more can we do for some of our frontline workers regarding mental health and their well-being? I think there's still a lot of things that we can do. Um, and I'm speaking from this sort of, again, from my experience and particularly as a detachment commander, because that's when I really saw, I guess, the big picture. Right. Right. As a detachment mm -hmm. commander, you're responsible for So what's the for difference? It? Like, what's oh. your role as a detachment Many. commander? I have yeah. no idea. I am what responsible do? for the administrative and the operational okay. um, functioning of the police in that jurisdiction. So, um, you know, you're, you're responsible for the budget. You're responsible for making sure that the outcomes and the objectives are met for the performance plan for that detachment. Yeah. But you're also responsible for all the operational stuff, the training, the safety of your members and your staff. Right. So I really saw the big picture um, and answering, trying to answer that question, Blaine, about, it's, you know, what can we do? I think one of the things that we need to make sure we're doing is properly staffing, having a full complement of members, making sure that our detachments are at full strength. When they're not, when members literally cannot step back from the job because they're either on shift or they are back up mm -hmm. for 24 hours a day, seven days a week, uh, that is incredibly stressful and takes an incredible toll on the members. So properly staffing. Um, if I can, sorry to interrupt, but I want to, I will touch on that because Mally, if you remember here, last year I brought forward uh, uh, a request of, of, of council for additional police officers. And the reason behind that was we were seeing, or we were told there was, there was a lot of, of police officers that were off yeah. because of they were, they were uh, um, uh, sick, they were burnt out yep. there. And so in order to, to actually spend to save, because of course you're going to now have more officers being able to cover that work, getting the health and, and wellness that the others do need, yep. and that they're not continually in there. And the overtime, the overtime is hard on, yep. on police officers as well. And mm -hmm. having that continually, and then you're back in, you might've put in a four hour overtime shift, but then you get home by the time you you know, your brain gets, you know, relaxed, rested, and, and, and you get to sleep, you're up the next morning to hit it again, and you're yep. going back to answer calls that were not completed, and so it's just a continual, yep. and so I think more officers giving more time, so I, I thank you for, for uh, mentioning that, because that is, it's something that I find to be extremely important. It is, it's a vicious um, cycle, and again, I really saw that um, in my last two postings, so if you've got people off ODS, now mm -hmm. that workload the extra workload falls now on the members that are remaining. Mm. Right. Not only does that take 
a physiological and psychological toll on them, but from an expense point of view, now, yes, op overtime is not only hard on the members, it's expensive yes. on the budget. Ooh, so good point. when you've got members who are working at double time or triple time, um, you know, we have to, to look at how that impacts, uh, you know, the, the budget as well. It, because how, it, how many hours of double or triple does it, it doesn't take long before yeah. you've hit a salary. And so the budget side, the main For, part is, as we talk about, is the mental the health well of just of so members. much time yeah. Yeah. at that station and, and, and involved in that, that your, yeah. your family time, you're spending that much mm -hmm. less time. So yeah, all of that together. Right, and then those members become overburdened and so now you've got more people right. going off ODS and then now you've got fewer who are picking up the burden like when does it stop mm -hmm. right right do you think more police officers would help our community I do but you know I th there's some things where I think we could allocate them to maybe alleviate some of the burden on let's say the patrol yeah. on the patrol guys um, so absolutely, I mean, can we, you know, in a perfect world, it would be great, but I mean, there are budgetary constraints and we can only hire so many, but could we have more? Yes. I don't think LPS, Lethbridge Police Service right now is operating at their full, full strength. And then like you said, there's, there's, and, there's, that. Yeah. and there's a lot that obviously you're on, on a, a leave yep. illness, yes. et cetera. Yes. And so, yeah, yeah. 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 And yeah. so, um, you know, they're, they're at that state right now, right, where they're short and members are working very, very hard mm -hmm. to maintain the appropriate level of service to keep everybody safe. <laughs> there were a couple of other things, like properly staffing is one important thing, but I think we look, need to look at the viability of other options as well. Like, I, I think to myself, just from my own experience, could we have something like a packed unit on each watch? Mm -hmm. We have a PDS unit attached to each watch. Mm -hmm. Could we have a pact, a police and crisis team unit, which is a police officer partnered with a mental health professional, whether it's a nurse or a social worker? Right. Could we have one of those attached to each watch, right? So there would be four pact units. Could we hire social workers like Chief McPhee at EPS is currently doing? Yeah, he's he's hiring social, social workers. workers he's thrown yeah. on. Yeah. Could we create a Lethbridge Police Foundation? like Calgary has. Calgary has a Calgary Police Foundation, which deals with at-risk youth. It's an incredible program. If you don't know what it is, Google it, look it up, have a look at it. It'd be fantastic if we could mirror something like that, a Lethbridge Police Foundation. Should we consider annual mandatory psych evaluations for our members? You know, if you're an undercover operator or you're a traffic reconstructionist or you work in sex crimes, um, in the RCMP, you have to have mandatory psychological evaluations to make sure that you're doing okay. But you know what? Our patrol guys are seeing sometimes more horrific things yeah. than right. even these guys in the specialty units are seeing. So why aren't we saying to them, okay, every year you are going to go and talk to a psychologist. You're mm -hmm. going to unpack that garbage bag that's starting to fill up. Right. You're going to go and do that to maintain your mental health. Mm -hmm. Why couldn't we do that? I know, you know, these might be expensive things, but at what cost? Exactly. Right? Again, keep in mind when people go off ODS and everything else, there's a cost to that as well. There's so, more officers, there's more there's yeah. more overtime, etc. Yeah. So you're right. Could we consider implementing a hub like uh, like I, I did in my Saskatchewan posting where we bring police and other public and uh, public safety and public health professionals together once a week to identify high-risk offenders, make sure that they are not 
falling through the cracks. Mm -hmm. So we sit at a table, there's me, there's addictions, there's mental health, there's schools, principals, teachers, there's housing officials. And we go, okay, who's on the list this week? Who do we need to help to make sure that we are not letting them fall through the cracks? So Kate, thank you so much. Um, you've not only shared about your PTSD experience, you've shared about your policing experience, your community involvement, and I want to say on behalf of Blaine and I, thank you. So I guess for anyone within the community that's looking just to learn, how can we support police? What would you suggest? Boy, that's a, that's a tough and loaded question. Um, like even the, little things, little yeah, things that we can just you know, say thank you. Yeah. Overall, I would say, you know, we need to stop vilifying the police for every evil in, in society. Um, but I think we need to remember that the majority of these officers are really good people. They've chosen Lethbridge as the, police, as the place where they want to live and work and keep safe. They're really good people doing a really tough job. Take a minute to thank a police officer when you see them wave or you know if they're walking down the street get out of the car you know say hi to them if you see them at a restaurant walk up and say hi i had that many times right and that 15 seconds of contact with a citizen who says you know what thanks for mm -hmm. what you're doing right you we really appreciate it it's incredible how that just that lifts your spirit it, automatically too right it really lifts your spirit right yeah. um so little things like that you know if we have initiatives like we're doing join in it takes a few minutes of your day to um, make a huge difference yeah. in the Absolutely. life of yeah. these people it's so actually before we close too as I just want to share is when I was 27 years old I had to report a not so great crime that had happened against me and mm -hmm. I will never forget the officer that I had because he broke massive stigma for anyone reporting the type of crime that I had to because it's, mm -hmm. oh, police don't care. I'm so thankful for this man. And the other day as we were, you know, just collaborating around the cards for a cop, I, I'm at the intersection. I look, I'm like, oh my gosh, there's the officer that when I was 27 years old, I rolled down my window. And if anyone knows me, they're like, oh, Mallory, there she is. Right. And I'm like, <laughs> hey, man, I was like, thank you so much for everything that you did because you changed my life. Yeah. That officer said something to me that I wish someone had said to me 27 years into my life. And mm -hmm. he said it, that it's okay to get help. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. The officer mm -hmm. said that. Yeah. Not my friends, yeah. the officer. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So a lot of respect for that. But yeah, I, I do go out of my way to say thank you for everything mm -hmm. because they keep us as frontline workers safe. Mm -hmm. They keep our clients safe on the street. Yeah. They keep, you know, random citizens who are going through crime or becoming victims of crime safe. Yeah. So this is a time with yes. this divisiveness in the society where we can really have all sides sort of with a true intent come to, you know, if they're willing to do that, come to the table and have these hard um, dialogues to actually really sort of foment some positive, positive change. You're not going to get anywhere. How, how are we going to create peace when there's so much anger, right? So we need to put that aside. We all have something in common. We all have some common ground somewhere. And that's sort of a starting point to listen. And then we can start addressing the things that we disagree on um, and build some positive strategies. Awesome. Thanks so much. And thank you for coming on and giving us your time and yeah. sharing all the information you did. Exactly. What we want to do is we want to just raise awareness around amazing community humans like yourself. Awesome initiatives. Thanks for joining. Thank you. Thank you.
You've been listening to Connecting Your Community with Blaine Higgin and Mallory Christiansen. Join us next time as we continue to discuss community topics and how all of us together can make a difference. Remember, there is no community without unity.